Hey folks, it's your pal Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com and Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish here with another episode of SlyFlourish's Lazy DM Prep. This is a weekly show shot 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Times in which I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running a Eberron homebrew adventure that I am calling The Second Morning, set in, obviously, the world of Eberron. This show, like all of the work of the Sly Flourish Empire, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish at patreon.com slash slyflourish. You too can help support shows like this and the website and all the little costs and infrastructure that it takes to keep everything up and online by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and becoming a patron. Patrons get access to a monthly newsletter, uh, exclusive newsletter, and they also get uh, access to a, a bunch of other little things. Uh, one of them is a uh, an adventure, an exclusive adventure just for patrons backers called Regnum Raddus, The Rats in the Cellar. This is a level one to five dungeon delving adventure in which the characters go down into the depths of a cellar beneath a old inn. Uh, what else? Oh, so big, I got lots of things I want to talk about today, uh, but probably the biggest one because there's one hour left. So this is pretty much uh, the last time we're going to be talking about it. And if you're seeing this on YouTube, I apologize, but you should still go buy it because it's really good. Uh, Ruins of the Grendel Root is currently a deal of the day on DriveThruRPG and is available for the low, low price of like $4.49 or something ridiculous like that. Uh, $4.48. You can save the extra penny. Uh, it is only available for one more hour. It's been, it's been up and online since yesterday. Uh, it's been doing very well. I think we have that 320 copies have sold, which is awesome. It, it, it actually made it a gold bestseller. So um, that was awesome. And uh, it's a great way to get uh, the PDF version of this book. And I have a link that I will give to you fine folks on Twitch. Uh, if you are seeing this later, it's still worth, it's, it's still worth the money. Uh, and you should buy it anyway. Uh, Ruins of the Grendel Root. It, yeah, there's a whole other video on YouTube that you can watch about it. And you can go to the website and read all about it. So I'll be real quick. But it's 10 adventures set in a, uh, an under, a large underground uh, city, a big underground cavern known as uh, Black Claw Mountain is the name of the mountain. Uh, there's a city called Shadow Reach. There is an adventure outpost called Deep Delver's Enclave. And there are 10 adventures that take the characters all throughout the, the mountain and throughout the mystery of the mountain and, uh, that exists there. This was my Kickstarter that I did last year. Uh, it took me a year to put together. Uh, it's 150 pages, full color art, full color maps. Uh, full editing by Scott Fitzgerald Gray, a veteran Wizards of the Coast editor. It's I, I really like it. The feedback on it has been very good. The ratings are very good on both Amazon and on DriveThru. So people who get it like it, uh, but not a lot of people find it. So that's that's uh, one of the reasons for the deal of the day sale, and that seemed to have worked. So if you want your shot, now is the time. Go hit it up on, on uh, go click the link that's in the Twitch chat there. Uh, and uh, whoever's in Twitch chat, he's not your problem. Uh, hello, uh, would you be so willing to continually repost that link if people ask about it, uh, if they ask about it? So that is the deal of the day. Like I said, if you're watching on YouTube, it's too late, uh, but you should still go buy the book because it's really awesome. Uh, what else did I want to talk about? Uh, I wanted to talk about, and we'll do it when we're talking about our prep today. Let's cut back to our return and go over to a pretty picture. Uh, I wanted to talk, is there still a preview chapter? Yes, there is a preview chapter that's available. You can uh, go to, uh, it's available on, on DriveThruRPG. Like you can, if you click the full size preview, you'll get the whole thing, which includes a full adventure. Uh, and you can go to, uh, you can Google Grendel Root. I'm pretty sure if you Google Grendel Root, it goes straight to me. Let's see what it goes to. Uh, yeah, so the first link it goes to the um, Ruins of Grendel Root and there's a free first level preview, preview adventure. And here it is. It's a big preview, 23-page preview that includes the whole introduction to the book, uh, history of Black Claw Mountain, getting into the mountain and, or, or starting there, descriptions of all of the adventures, uh, how the adventures are put together, and then a, an adventure called The Call of Starsong Tower, which includes, again, like nice you know, full-color artwork of characters, full-color maps, you know, full-color scenes, all kinds of stuff. So uh, this is a first-level adventure in which the characters go through and... Um, acquire their own uh, little tower in, in Deep Delver's Enclave. So fun adventure. I really, I really, I d adore this book. It's one of my, it's probably, I don't know if it's the favorite thing I've ever done. Return is awesome. Second favorite thing I've ever done? Maybe? It's up there. I really love it. And the creative work that I put into it, I really love. And I just adore this thing. So please buy it. Uh, yeah. So the other thing I wanted to talk about today was um, there was a conversation. Uh, Merrick, Merrick Blackman, Blackman brought this up on Twitter and it's something that I've been playing with a lot and I, I kind of dig. And it, it's a kind of question about when you're doing a homebrew adventure, 
kind of the, the what's the, this is a very lazy DME sort of topic. What is the fastest way, the easiest way to build out, like a, fill out the locations of a map uh, and still give yourself room for improvisation? So what Merrick mentioned was going to Dyson Logos. Um, and we'll show an example of how I'm going to do this today because i got to do it for my prep today. We'll go to Maps on Dyson's logo, Dyson Logos. Dyson Logos is your best place to map. I, I think it's the best way. 856 different maps. You can just download them. It's awesome. Great way to get maps. So we'll just say I'm actually using this one for another, another adventure that I'm running. So we click on that. And we will open this up in a new tab. Uh, so we have a map here, right? And the map is untagged. Um, you know, and we, we, we don't have anything about it, right? We don't know anything about this map. Uh, all we have are the locations. And one of the things that we can do, so what, what Merrick was suggesting, which is a very reasonable way to do it, and maybe the better way to do it. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still you know, great thing about this community that we're in, this wonderful creative D&D community that we're in, is everybody's got a lot of different ideas, and we can experiment with all of them. Experimenting is cheap. Uh, experiment both in, not just in cost, but in um, kind of our creative energy and our impact, you know, the, the energy to impact ratio is really low. So um, that's good, right? Yeah. Energy over impact. You want, you want, uh, I don't know. Does that work? Um, impact over energy is really high. Something like that. So you, you generally, you want to do, um, you know, you, you want like the easiest solution that's going to have a big impact of the game, right? That, that's the core of the Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master is what's the easiest thing you can do that can have a big impact on your game. Focus on that stuff. And there's lots of different ways that we can experiment with this thing, like uh, hacking monsters. You know, like a, an example of a hard thing to do is building a monster from scratch and then making sure it's all mathematically correct and making sure the challenge rating is right, making sure that fits the theme. That's hard work. Uh, I made a decision back when I was freelancing for Wizards of the Coast and I realized that I could get paid to make monsters that I would not make on a monster unless I was getting paid. So, you know, I don't, I used to back in the 3.5 days. I remember I made a boss once. Man, I'm down a rabbit hole. Uh, Hi, Mom. Glad you make it. I thought you weren't going to make it today, but here you are. Um, so in the 3.5 days, I made a boss once. And I, and I, in the 3.5 days, the ways you made bosses was monsters were essentially like characters. Uh, they used the same rules and mechanics that characters did. They used feats and they had all this stuff, which meant you could essentially take all the character option books and use it to build a monster. And it was as painful as making a character. So if you wanted to make, I made a 20th level drow matriarch and I wanted her, her thing was that she was a shadow mage. And there was a book called the, the book of magic, the tome of magic. Somebody will remember. It was a 3.5 book that, um, was near the end of 3.5 before fourth. And they had three different kinds of magic. They had rune magic and they had, I think it was shadow magic and they had something else. And I took, um, spells from the shadow magic side and built a 20th level matriarch. And she had a lot of, I, I like really tweaked her out and made her, and it was sort of like optimizing the character. And she got killed, of course, in like one round. And it took me like hours to make her. And in fourth, you didn't have that problem, but you, there was still a lot of making monsters in fourth. And because the mechanics in fourth, like, I think that, I think the reality is you can go do the research on this, but I believe Playtesting for fourth didn't happen as well as it should. It certainly didn't happen like it did for fifth. And what it meant is that a lot of the monsters that came out in fourth in the original monster manual weren't great. They either were too heavy on armor class, too heavy on hit points, not enough damage, uh, or they had really annoying abilities. My favorite one was the fourth edition, Dracolich. It's just, it's a great, if you ever wanted to like have people quit D&D, run the fourth edition Dracolich. It had a breath weapon that stunned. It had an eye beam that stunned and it had like an aura that stunned. It had like three ways of making sure players couldn't do anything. Most annoying monster ever. Uh, they made a new one, a rune-scribed Dracolich. I have the books over there. And they made a new one in the Essentials Kit. The, the, the big common knowledge about 4th Edition is that the D&D 4th Edition Essentials Kit, not to be confused with the 5th Edition Essentials Kit, the Essentials Books which uh, was like people refer to it as version 4.5, way better, way more balanced, way more fun, way more differences between character classes, uh, but also stripped out a lot of the broken stuff and uh, players loved the broken stuff. So it meant that players weren't as eager to play Essentials, advent, advent, essentials characters as they were to play original characters. But the monsters in Essentials were also way better. 
So back when I was making monsters like that, I said, okay, this is really hard work. And, um, and then eventually, uh, Wizards of the Coast, I started to freelance for Wizards of the Coast and I made a few monsters for them for Dragon Magazine and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, if I'm getting paid to make monsters, I'm not making new ones. I'm just going to reskin. And that's why I learned about reskinning and everything else. So now I, I'm a firm, I, I firmly embrace that. I'm like, well, use a monster stat block that already exists for one. Um, then if you need to modify it a little bit, tweak things here and there. Uh, I was making a monster for Fantastic Layers, the book that we're working on now. And um, this is the Cloud Giant Vampire Lair. And uh, I wanted the Cloud Giant Vampire to have essentially air elementals that protect him. The difference between these, they're blood elementals. And a, a blood elemental can um, uh, does everything an air elemental does, only it does necrotic damage instead of bludgeoning damage. Uh, real easy change, right? Real one line, necrotic instead of bludgeoning. Uh, I don't even think it's undead. It's still an elemental. Um, so everything else on it is the same. And um, it's really cool because it's up on a big high platform with lots of drops and air elementals can shove. So some characters might go over the edge. Um, so you can reskin like that. And then there's there's other kind of bigger ways to reskin. But like the last thing to do is to make something new. And I really feel that when you, I'm getting all the way back to that like, effort over value, right? The effort over impact um, is that the effort of making a monster, yeah, you want the lowest ratio of effort over impact, right? And the, the when you make a monster, that's a lot of effort and the impact for that doesn't really change. Like the difference between you running a monster that already exists or running a monster that you made to the players and to the game and to the group really isn't that big a difference. But um, uh, I'm nervous about uh, a lot of shoving in theater of mind. Oh, we should talk about theater of the mind. What are you doing, Theater of Mind? Tell me about Theater of Mind. I love talking about Theater of Mind. So, um, yeah, so easier is like reskin a thing, right? Or just call it something different. Or say, well, now it does fire damage, right? And they talk about this in the Dungeon Master's Guide. If you read it, this is not some Mike Shea BS. This is in the core books, right? If you look at the Dungeon Master's Guide under creating a creature, it starts with reskin. It starts with tweak an element. It starts with just, you know, pull a line out of this text, out of this chart and use that. And the last thing it does is say, okay, if you really want to build a monster and then it gets into like, and if you want to add class levels to monsters, you can do that too. So it has options for all of that. But I think a lot of people, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people reskin and I should do a survey. This would be an interesting survey. Mike Shea's BS. Yeah. Um, so, oh, Cobalt Press has a blood elemental stat block. Yeah, the problem is uh, we want to use SRD for everything, the core SRD. So we're going to take SRD monsters and tweak them rather than using monsters from elsewhere because then now you got dependencies for other books. Um, so, uh, yeah, reskinning, man. And, and that, so that's an example of, like, really good ratio of effort over impact is uh, when you just take a air elemental and you say now it does necrotic damage which you can do in your head right you don't need to write anything down you don't have to put in a three by five card you don't have to put in your notes you just oh yeah i'm gonna make this a blood elemental and now it does necrotic damage and then you just change it and you, all you have to do is say the word necrotic damage instead of bludgeoning damage it's really easy to do and the impact for that is really low but the the, the impact is high because they're like oh my god elementals made out of blood ah you know and you're like you could describe them in the flavor and everything else reskinning with flavor is a i think an underappreciated talent right that just describe things differently. Put your effort into it, right? Don't, God help you. Don't, don't just describe the numbers, right? Don't say, you know, don't roll a die and be like 16 to hit. And they go hit and you go 26 damage and then go to the next one. Start and end with the fiction. I think that's a dungeon, a dungeon world thing. Like start and end with the fiction. Describe what's going on. Then, you know, figure it out with a roll and then describe what happens based on the roll. Fiction, mechanics, fiction right? And you wrap the whole game that way. Uh, tactical Delta Niner sucks. Yeah, I guess that's the way. I've played games and I've had DMs uh, who did that. You know, the stench of blood, oh, right? And then like when it slams you and you slammed against the wall and the blood's going on. Yeah, I don't get gross, but you could definitely have some fun. How does this get back to my like, What time is it? It's 15. Uh, you know, my coffee's in the way. I have, two min- I have two coffees here and they're not caffeinated and I haven't even started drinking them yet. So I'm just excited. I'm happy to play some D&D. So this gets back to maps. And what Merrick was saying, which again is a very reasonable approach, is uh, that he will take a Dyson map like the one we have down in the lower right corner. He will uh, take an image editor of some sort. You could probably do it in PowerPoint, right? You could probably easily drop this. Let's, you know, drop this in PowerPoint. Um, Let's see if I can uh, do it in the Google. I bet you could do this in... um, 
Oh, what is this nonsense now? Google Slides, come on. Make a new one. Get rid of that thing. Get rid of this stuff. Paste. It's going to paste. I don't think it's going to paste. Uh, it's because the map is too big. Windows Shift S. And we will grab a... Uh, whoops. All right, we'll just do that. Um, obviously didn't work particularly well. Uh, but we will we drop a map in here and we uh, zoom in zoom 200% right and what he can do is you, then you go in and you just put your little text box and you go bink and you say one right and then you know you move your text box around we'll make this real small um why this I don't know why it's so short there we go so now we have a little you know drop a one and then you you create it. What the hell that happened there? I'm doing a terrible job at this. I think people will get the idea though. All right, copy this. There we go. Go up to the next room. Two, right? And you could do you could map you could you could do your whole map this way, right? You can go and label your map, and then you open up a text editor or anything like that, and you just jot down what are a couple of interesting things that'll be in that room. And that's very much like the lazy DM approach, right? When you're doing fantastic locations in the eight steps of Return to the Lazy Dungeon Master, one of them is create fantastic locations, and you could label them here, and you could put them in there. Uh, what I proposed was uh, an approach that I've been taking that I think is a easier because you don't have to label the map, which as I mean. I'm screwing around here, and this is not as hard as I made it look. Uh, you know, like, again, I, I just did this. I don't even have a tool on here, right? Uh, I don't have a... Um, uh, I don't have an image editor on this computer, but I was able to go pull up Google spread Google presentations and grab the map and drop it in here and, and roll, right? Pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, and then you just make a list, and you say, one, two, three, here are the things in there. What I propose is not labeling the map. Uh, we get rid of that. We just stick with this, and instead, we look at this. And let's let's uh, we're gonna we're gonna just make a a, a, a new page here. Uh, so over on the left, as always, is uh, so we're gonna make junk. Just so I know that's not real, and we're gonna do bullet. Uh, this is Notion, and Notion is a uh, it's like um, OneNote, uh, web-based OneNote. Uh, that's probably a good way to describe it. It's an online notebook thing, and I'm using it for uh, my notes. And I'll get into it a little bit here, but just trust me, it's notion.so and uh, junk page. So what we do is we we, we look at our map on one side. Um, I have the map flipped over on the other side. And we say, what's in it? And and so you can look at the rooms and say stuff. And you might say, like, dwarven uh, statues. We'll do, we'll do crumbled. You might even number these instead of... Uh, instead of, uh, we'll turn this into a numbered list. And not necessarily because they correspond to a room, but because you can roll on them as a random thing. Uh, and then we'll have like Dwarven Altar. And then we'll have um, Pillars of Dwarven Lords. You can tell that I'm a Dwarven thing. Um, uh, we have uh, Vermin Bridge. Uh, we have uh, Sunken River. Now, as you can see, I'm kind of like describing these different things. But the answer is for, for a lot of these, like the Dwarven Altar and the Pillar of the Dwarven Lords and all this other stuff, you might not place them in any particular room and you might change what's in the room. So you instead of, and in fact, I'm, I'm not even doing this correctly. Like rather than describe what's in the map, uh, I can instead like not even look at the map and say like, what are, in this case, I would say like, what are 10 things? Um, what are 10 things that we might find in a dwarven stronghold? So let's say like big dwarven weapons. Um, we might find, uh, an altar to dwarven, to a dwarven God. Um, we might find, uh, what, huge dwarven statues, uh, murals of great battles. Uh, we'll do six. 
um, just for ease. Uh, don't look at the map. I'm looking at the map. I'll go back to my Ebron picture. Uh, murals of great, uh, uh, great sieges. What other other interesting things? Uh, gem encrusted throne. And uh, something else you'd find in a dwarven ruin, a dwarven, the ruins of a dwarven citadel is what we're, what we're looking at. Uh, it's always the last one that's always tricky. Um, fountain, right? A mechanical fountain. Uh, we'll call it an eternal fountain of fire and water. Right? As you can see, the last one's the most creative one because it took the hardest one to think. So now I've got a list of things that I could find in there, right? And now instead of specifically mapping stuff to locations, I have a list of things they could find. And then I can decide, like, room one, what do they find? And I can go to the list and I'd be like, I think in here we're going to put the dwarven statues or, you know, and then we, you know, I can, some of these will come up with, but maybe like this hall here, that's where I put the dwarf crafted eternal fountain with a fire and water. Like that would be pretty cool. You know, the huge dwarven statues I could put here. I can drop them wherever. And if I'm lost, I can roll. So why is this better than labeling it? Well, hey, it's probably easier. It takes less time and that's always good. Uh, but two, another, another good reason is that it, it gives you the freedom to improvise while you're playing. So I might not drop these things in, or I might decide like, ah, that's, you know, that doesn't really fit here. Or I got some other better idea while I'm running. And I, I'm, I'm loosely, I'm not, I'm not as tied tightly to what is where in a map. Um, I can, I can come up with it a little more loosely. Uh, who's a talk? So I was talking to Scott Fitzgerald Gray on Friday, uh, editor of Fantastic, um, um, Fantastic Lairs and Ruins of the Grendel Root and Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Monster Manual, the fifth edition Monster Manual and, uh, man, all like, I don't know, all the D&D books, tons of D&D books. So, and he was saying, oh yeah, that's, he said he actually, when he teaches people how to DM, he talks to people about how to DM, he recommends that. He recommends like, don't take an old map from an old place and write down a list of things that might be discovered there and then put those two in front of you and then improvise uh, what goes where during the game. And this falls into that, you know, prepare to improvise. Another thing we would do here, so we have like stuff, right? And then the other thing we would have is monsters, right? Uh, and same thing. Uh, what would be down here? Black puddings, uh, hook horrors, uh, carrion crawlers, Mimics, um, uh, animated statues, and uh, what else? Um, bandits, right? Thieves. So, um, you know, now I've got my monsters, I've got my my locations, and if you can tell, like this is we're gonna, uh, uh, and then I would put another one, as you can imagine, the steps from uh, return. Uh, would be secrets. What are some secrets? And then I'm not going to fill these out here because I've got in my own game to prep for. I mean, it's important stuff. But you can tell, like, this is a great way to sort of quickly fill out a map and a location. And you're, it's real fast. You saw me just whip through it, right? The secrets would probably take the longest. And even that's only five or 10 minutes. And now I've got a map. I've got things that they can find in these places and see. I've got monsters they can fight. I've got secrets. Again, NPCs. Probably want to drop a couple NPCs in here so they have somebody to talk to like the bandits, you know, or, or maybe the bandits are hunting somebody who hid down here, but now they're trapped because of stupid hook horrors, all kinds of things. So you can see how this comes together. And I'm, you know, Merrick's approach is great. And the nice thing that Merrick's approach does, and it's what's Merrick's approach. I mean, Merrick's awesome and I love him, but the idea of keying a map is, is not unique to Merrick. Um, but the idea of quickly preparing your own thing for your own play of grabbing a map, writing numbers, I would actually suggest like, instead of screwing around with an image editor, print it out, get a Sharpie, draw numbers on it, right? Like save yourself the effort of mucking around, unless you're really good with Photoshop, really good with whatever tool that can annotate a map. And I'm not, uh, print it out and draw numbers on it. And then you can go with that. And the, 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 the nice thing there is that it's more solid than if you're making it up as you go. The location feels more solid. And you might say, I'm going to make the locations keyed to specific rooms but the monsters and the secrets, I'm not. And that's fine. That's actually, a, that's a great way to go and may end up being the better way to go. 
Um, but I'm, I'm playing with the idea because it's faster and because I'm lazy of not bothering to key the map and instead, um, uh, just saying, what are the, what are the things they would find in here? And I will improvise as we go. And I think that that can, I think that can work pretty well. Uh, let's see what chat has to say about this. Uh, oh, a brewery. Everybody was giving me ideas and I wasn't paying attention to it. Um, you can get a bullet induction by typing a dash in space. Yeah, I know. Um, and I think if you just start numbering things, they'll do it too. Uh, destroyed forge. That would have been awesome. Is that a dwarven forge? Woo, dwarven forge. Um, who is somebody's pimping their own channel? Don't do that. That's mean. Um, oh, thank you for reporting and blocking. I don't know how to, how do I report? Uh, is there a way to report? This is the problem. Report. Spam. Go away. Bot account. Man, they make you do a lot of work. To, they do, don't make it more work for the person reporting the spammer than the spammer. Right? Like, give me a break. Um, sorry. Notion. Notion. That is so amazing. Thanks. What's the software? Yep. Uh, software to make a map is uh, DysonLogos.com. Don't make maps. <laughs> well, I say things. Feel free to make maps. Instead of, you know, I'm going to say instead of don't make maps. There's 850 maps on DysonLogos.com. 850. And the dude's a pro. The guy is pouring maps out. He's done the maps for like many, many of the hardcover books of, of who, you know, who are we to make our own maps? Like, why not just grab those maps? There's so many out there. So much easier. Just like making a monster, right? I'm, you know, I make maps when I'm paid to make a map. Um, and even then I end up finding cartographers who we then pay to make maps. So, um, yeah, see, see what you, you know, for the ease, this is, I mean, one approach, right? We all have different approaches. I am not knocking other approaches. I'm not saying make maps. I'm not saying that the world won't love your campaign world that you're going to spend a year building out. They're not going to love it. Um, not many people will love it, but if you want map software, uh, a web browser and DysonLogos.com uh, is the way to go. Uh, Swoopy has never played D and D. Uh, hey, can somebody do me a favor and um, grab the link? Let's see. I'll go find it because I've been I've been working on this for a while. Uh, I have an article on Sly Flourish that I continually update called "Getting Started with D and D," right here. Um, that is uh, all of the combined knowledge and experience and surveys and everything trying to boil it down to what does it mean to play D and D and where to get started and what you should buy and what you should not buy, what you can get for free, all that kind of stuff, uh, is available on that getting started with D and D, um, getting started in Dungeons and Dragons article. That's mine. There are many. If you search for it, you'll find a lot. Oh boy. So, um, let's prep a game. It is 1030 time to prep. So, uh, we are going to close this page and we are going to delete this junk page. All that knowledge lost. Delete. Uh, and we are going to go to our session planning template. And we click and we say duplicate. And we drag it to the top. And we open it. And we create a 26 July 2020 Sunday Eberron. Uh, that is our game notes for today. So this is all in Notion. Uh, if you want, you can create your own uh, copy of this. I have a thing called the Lazy Campaign. Uh, I'm going to copy this link, and I'll paste it into Twitch chat. Um, it is a, uh, a Lazy DM template for, making, um, for, for, for prepping for your game. And it's a template I'm continually improving and updating uh, and it's a, uh, a way to keep track of your campaign in Notion that I use for return when I'm doing my steps from return to Lazy Dungeon Master, blah, 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 blah. And this is it. So the first thing we do is we duplicate the session planning template and create a new session planning set of notes for today's game. And then the next thing we do is we review the characters. So we go back to here and we have our Sunday characters. Um, we have six characters, but I know one of them might be out today. I'm not sure who's in and out, who's out today. Uh, so Zarentir Delander is, uh, he's important. He is currently flying the Goldbright airship. He is a Delander, uh, Dragonmark, Storm Dragonmark guy flying an airship. Um, and things look bad for his airship. Uh, Saber is a monk, uh, member of the Four Winds Monastery. Uh, Shift is a Warforged, uh, one of the original Warforged. She has a brother named Crash who is currently, uh, riding shotgun in her mind 
with a uh, Crash's memory crystal, which was taken from his body, is now in her head and tells her stuff. Uh, we have Shane Husk, the novelist, who has recently, I think he is not going to make it today, which is good because he got charmed by Alamia and led off into another part of the ship. So we'll see what sh- happens with Shane Husk. Uh, we have Banner, who is a Warforged paladin, uh, me- uh, follower of the Becoming God. And we have Arwen Chi Zizu, who is an artificer uh, and uh, member of how- one of the uh, uh, a house member of Civis. Uh, so those are the characters. We reviewed the characters real quickly. Go back to the notes. Review, bang. Uh, strong start. Uh, the Goldbright is crashing into... Uh, oh, and we use our little dirty tricks of uh, linking to locations. The Goldbright... Oh, no. Uh, is crashing into Knight's... Into the night sky. Uh, the characters are surrounded by by jackalwares. Loyal to uh, Valentine. Um, surrounded by jackalwares. Loyal to Valentine. They are inside the main hull of the ship. Uh, to crash or not to crash the Goldbright. That is the question. So, um, to give you some context here, uh, the characters got a hold, uh, stole, borrowed, uh, the Goldbright. The Goldbright is an airship. Uh, it is a, um... Uh, Zarentir's father's ship, and they took it along with Zarentir's father's um, butler, who takes care of the ship caretaker, um, who just is sitting and drinking scotch the whole time. And uh, they roared off with the ship. They pushed it beyond its limits. They found the night sky. Uh, there was a great air battle. They fought illusionary chimeras, uh, which was a lot of fun and worked out really well. Uh, and then they cr- ended up crashing. Um, uh, they ended up crashing the Goldbright into the side of the night sky. The Goldbright is it got fireballed by Leto Skull. It's in bad, bad shape. Uh, and we ended with Chi getting ready to blow a hole in the engine of the Goldbright, which is an I think a pair of air elementals. It's a pair of arguing fire elementals. I think it's a yeah. Is powered by two air elementals, Argo and Pollux, and Argo and Pollux argue with each other all the time. Um, Argo is very aggressive. Pollux is very. They are the um, Waldorf and Statler uh, are the NPCs for this. Um, so uh, Arwen wants to blow open the canister, the, the the chambers that are holding these two elementals, which powers the ship, which means the ship is gone. But now you got two elementals roaring around, and. Um, uh, but um, Zarentir is against this idea. So we're going to see how that goes. Uh, that is kind of where things start. In the meantime, aboard the Night Sky, um, the Night Sky is our villain, Leto Skull, a Oni who is trying to build a new weapon, a new weapon of mourning, uh, has this massive stealth airship, and he is flying it towards the Mornland. Uh, and he... Um, has a huge Eberron shard on board, and he has like 24 jackal wares and a bunch of, he's got a bunch of dudes that are hanging out with him. Uh, and the characters, many of the characters have now boarded the airship uh, and are, are on board the airship. Let me pull up a different thing than the article here. Uh, and they're surrounded and they started fighting them. Uh, is the Goldbright from the Eberron guy? The art might be. I don't know. I steal the art from all over the place. Um, the Holdo maneuver. Is that what the, the Holdo maneuver is? Smash an airship into another airship? So, yeah, the big question is, is the Goldbright going to survive or not? I give it low low likelihood because it's already beat up pretty bad. But maybe if if they can convince, if if uh, Zarentir can convince Arwen not to blow open the engines, um, the ship may survive. It's going to be very badly damaged. Um, if however, uh, 
they do blow open the engines, the Goldbright is going to go tumbling off the side and fall down into the rocks below. Uh, but the air elementals will then be flying around the night sky and they could be convinced to attack the night sky and stuff like that. So lots of fun there. Uh, so that is the strong start. Uh, s- let's go back to our notes. Um, so scenes, uh, scene one is uh crash. That's we're just gonna, uh, we're going to grab this line here because that's our scene one, uh, battle, Battle in the hold, um, facing Leto Skull. Um, I don't know that there's any way they're going to be able to stop Leto. Leto is so crafty, but we'll see. And they have, I think they're down at least a couple of people. Uh, rescuing uh, Shane Husk. Uh, finding the Eberron Shard. Escaping the night sky. So these are loose. I have no idea if any of this is going to come about. So uh, secrets and clues. Some of these are not too secret uh, and not too clue filled. Uh, the uh, Lido, you can again link to people, uh, has his massive Eberron on board the night sky. Um, uh, he, Lido also, does he have the, yeah, uh, uh, he has the Tome of Colseer. Um, Lido doesn't know where, uh, Claw Rift is. Uh, we're making in the Glass Plateau is. Uh, Lido uh, wants to take the from from Arwen. So Arwen uh, has a dodecahedron around her neck, and say, uh, Shift has uh, actually Crash has the word to open the dodecahedron, which can turn it into a compass. That if put inside Karshak, uh, can locate um, uh, making in the glass plateau, which is where Claw Rift is. Claw Rift and making the glass plateau is where the original weapon of morning was made, and it's where you would have to take the Eberron shard and the Tomacolseer in order to make a new weapon. Um, Lido plans to build a new weapon of morning. To become his own nation, his own nation state, ratified by the by an updated Lido plans to build a new weapon of mourning to become his own nation state, ratified by an updated Treaty of Thronehold. That is his ultimate agenda. Oh, that coffee's good. That other one was cold. Um. That is his plan. Uh, who else? Leto has hired, spent all of his money hiring uh, assassins from House uh, Leto has spent all of his money hiring assassins from House Tarkanon as, as his personal bodyguards. Um, Leto still strings Along the daughters, Lido still strings along the daughters of Sora Cal, claiming that he will give the weapons um, to them. Lido has his own sentient dreaming orb called, uh, oh, what is it called? Uh, villains, Chris, uh, 
uh, similar, uh, a sibling of lack. Sibling of lack. Uh, so these are sentient crystal balls that are very, very old, hundreds of thousands of years old. And they have a sentient personality from essentially the, of a quarry in them. And the quarry has its own agenda. Chris and Lack have their own agenda. Uh, to bring back... Chris and Lack have their own agenda to bring back the connection of Dalcor, uh, the, the, the plane of Dalcor, um, to the world. Uh, so that's a thing. So what else? These would be secrets and clues that are aboard the ship. Uh, oh, what powers the ship? Oh, did we say an Efreet? Like a blue burning Efreet? That he that he found uh, probably right. Um, the night sky. Is uh, powered by a blue burning Afridi. Uh So yeah, that's all good, right? Good secrets, and that all could come out as this game goes on. Uh, let's see. Whoops. Um. Uh, it's like teams called notions. Thanks. Uh, I have a notion. It's notion. Notion is the tool that I use. Yes. Fantastic locations. So, uh, how loyal is the bad guy crew? Uh, Valentine is extremely loyal because, um, Leto rescued her from, uh, her cursed temple in Zendrek where she'd been trapped for tens of thousands of years and brought her back to the world. So she's very loyal to him. Her jackal wares are, are fanatically loyal to her. Um, the Tarkanon assassins are pretty loyal. Um, they're not just because these guys, I mean, you, you pay a mint to have these guys working for you. So they're very loyal. So I would say the crew is pretty loyal. The only ones who might betray might be the Tarkanon guys. And they, would, they wouldn't want it to ever go back. That They probably would fight to the death because it ruins their house um, otherwise. Thespius says, notion greater than no, one note. Um, in many ways, I think it is. Uh, in one way, it's not, is that it, you have to be online in order to use it. Uh, there's no offline mode, and OneNote has an offline mode. But Notion has a lot of other things I dig, and I like the layout better. Uh, but to each their own, and I don't. I think I think OneNote is a fine a fine approach. So now we have the locations, and now we're going to do uh, what I was talking about. Uh, we're going to so they are boarding. Um, uh, so we're going to say what are well, we'll we'll do it the way I was talking about before. Uh, and we will number these. Whoops, I just lost everything. Uh, oh, come on. All right. So what are 10 things that you would find on Lido Skull's ship? A uh, room of Zen... Uh, room of Zendrick artifacts. Um, uh, army of animated armors. Uh, and that would also go in monsters, right? We have animated. Uh, we also have maybe a helmed horror, right? Um, but he might have a room of ones that he hasn't yet fired up. These are like his, that he's built, you know, that are, he's built and animated out of Zendrek armor, uh, animated Zendrek armors, right? Um, uh, 
Uh, what else do we have? What else would Lido have in his ship? A posh relaxation room. Um, murals, uh, tapestries, like um, bound. He took like all of the stuff that he loves from his place is in here. Um, um, yeah, I don't suggest to any, if you've got a system that works for you, don't switch to a new one just to switch to a new one. I was between campaigns and I wanted to try Notion out and I did, and it worked really well. Um, if you were starting a new one, it's worth giving it a shot. Again, we're experimenting with all kinds of things. You might, um, you might find out. Oh, Snark Knight. Awesome. Book of Blackmail. Probably that's safe, right? Safe of blackmail material on Aura members, including including Zarentir's father. That's awesome. Uh, what other room full of spider robots? His excavators. Um, other things um, that you would find in Leto Skull's ship. Obviously, a, um, a crystalline floating, floating crystal um, uh, steering orb. Right, so you actually control it by putting your hands in this orb and kind of put your vision all around the ship. Uh, that could work. If you were an Oni on your own personal airship, how would you build this airship out? Oh, so obviously like a massive chamber holding the, uh, that's down in the deep hold. Um, yeah, he, he that's exactly right. He dri he tr he drives the ship with the equivalent of a magic ball mouse. Exactly right. Um Obviously the engine, right? The uh the 3D powered engine. Uh one more, one more cool location that the characters might find aboard this airship. Uh, oh, uh, the ruins of uh, Valentine's temple. And she kind of brought it with her. So there's a little like vampires, right? Like when, uh, when Dracula brought his dirt from his own place with him, she's got archways and stuff from her old ruins that she needs. She's cursed. She has to stay near her temple. And so she brought the temple here and the temple is here. Um, and I think she's immortal. I think she can always come back. So I think like maybe she's, yeah, yeah. Valentine's really cool. So uh, those are great, 10 great fantastic. Now, as you notice, uh, so I have a map of the night sky, right? So I've got like, and they, when they come in, they, they banged into this area. And so a lot of these chambers are in the, 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 the you know, front of the ship and the back of the ship. And then on the lower deck, uh, and the forecastle and the quarter deck has stuff like that. Um, forecastle might be from where is, or uh, yeah, quarter deck is probably where, you know, so I'm just stealing the emperor of the waves, by the way, you want a good ship dungeon, ship dungeon, the emperor of the waves map from cursive from, from, uh, ghost of salt marsh is a good ship map. One thing that Dyson does not have are maps of ships. Uh, he apparently doesn't like doing them. So, uh, he doesn't have one, but that's the map that we're going to use, uh, for today's, for today's game. Uh, back. Uh, NPCs, we have Valentine. Uh, we have Lido. Um, oh, did I make an NPC for, because uh... he's becoming a guy now. I don't think I did. I got a lot of NPCs going on here. Uh, so in the last session, so back here under my, old adventures and we look at uh last sunday's game 
think I had an NPC in here. Dawson Riddleharp. Um, so NPCs, we're going to create a new NPC. Uh, bang. Uh, Dawson Riddleharp. Uh, works for Zarin Tears. Of the gold bright, not the the gold bright. Um, loves his scotch. Uh, I don't have a picture, but I'm not going to worry about a picture right now. But Dawson is now a um, enough of an NPC worth having a card. Go away. Uh, Are there any other NPCs here? I don't think so. Spider Bot. So we have Tarkinon Assassins. We have uh, a lot of monsters, boy. Um, Tarkinon Assassins of 3D. We have Jackal Warriors. We have an Oni. And we have a, a Lamia. Uh, probably have a mage and veterans. A cool thing you can do with uh, maybe an assassin, actual assassin, depending on how hard we want to make this. So those that's a list of the monsters. Um, uh, uh, we have a list, you know, a li that's a lot of monsters that we could play here. I don't know which ones I'm actually going to use during the game, so we're going to have to see, but that's all set. Uh, treasure, I think we... Uh, let's look back at last, uh, whoops, wrong one. Let's see all my campaigns. I've got, I've got a lot of campaigns going on. Old Adventures, last Sunday. Uh, I think I already picked out some treasure that, um, yeah, look, this is all the treasure. So we're just going to move that over. Those are all the treasure that last week I decided I needed. Um, and uh, that is it, right? So all eight steps from return are done. And I feel pretty confident. It's going to be a chaotic. I'll tell you. So last, um, last uh, game I ran in, somebody mentioned Theater of the Mind. And I ran, if you, if you can imagine like a complicated situation, two airships crashing together with, chimeras flying around and some people were on top of the ship and some people were overboard on the other ship and some people were you know facing off against jackalware some people were swinging by ropes across you know thousand foot drop all kinds of stuff and we handled all of it with both theater of the mind and the um uh this thing my my one-dimensional you know, the one-dimensional battle map. Oh, let's see. If I can go back to last week's game, I might actually. So you can see here, like, here is an example of, uh, and it's cool because this is actually, I think, the current situation that, that exists over here. So let me paste that over here. Uh, this is my um, text-based battle map, right, where uh, start, and if you paste this into Discord, uh, I think if I, let's work if I do an, uh, how do I render it in Markdown? It doesn't render in Markdown. Um, it normally would. Can, can you go to Markdown? That shows you what it looks like in Markdown. Oh, weird. So um, you have locations that are wrapped in double asterisks. That bolds them, typically. Um, you have character names. Why did it only highlight that? That's weird. We'll just do text. Um, is it plain text? God. All right. Um, 
We have uh, character names are italicized by wrapping them in underscores. Uh, three dashes designates a roughly the equivalent of a move between one zone and another. So you imagine that in this circumstance, we have two zones, the Goldbright, the ship that's crashing to the side of the night sky, and the night sky's upper deck, which is where everybody else is. Uh, up there, we have um, you know, six jackalwares, including at least one that's not prone. There's five other jackalwares up there, so there's still 11 jackalwares left. Um, and, uh, you know, we could have some other crazy things going on in that deck. So, uh, that is all in, we were, I was able to describe this incredibly complicated battle and I think everybody got it. And we were doing it online, which is, makes it even harder. Uh, but the idea of zone based combat, this idea of the, of an abstract map that basically says, what are the major big locations? Think 30 by 30 foot areas five square by five or five, five by five or six by six square areas, you know, instead of having a square equals five feet, have a square equals 30 feet and then give it a big name, like the Goldbright, an airship or the night sky upper deck. And then, um, yeah, uh, Savage Stalker, uh, says zone based combat is how I'm running things and it's working great. Zone based. Yeah. I think really of all of the different abstract combat systems I've used and run and played in other games like 13th age and fate and Numenera and dungeon world and D and D and all the different systems I've played. I, of the different ones I've used shadow of the demon Lord zone zone based combat. I like the best. And the idea basically is you identify your zones. This really fate is where I really heard about this uh, the first time you identify your zones. A zone is a, a, like a big room. You give it an evocative name, something that, builds imagery in people's heads like the night sky upper deck or the Goldbright airship. And you decide who's in that zone. Um, and uh, yeah, the hardcore 5e rules talk about zones. It makes combat tense and meaningful instead of dropping into too much minutia. Exactly. That's exactly right. We want, I mean, every teach their own, everybody's style is their own. And if your group is enjoying it, who the hell am I to say it? Otherwise, same disclaimer I always give. However, I like to focus on high fantasy and high adventure. I like the story to be big and bold and craziness happening and people swinging by ropes and people jumping up on top of airships that are going 500 miles an hour. You know, I want all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to get caught up in who's in what five foot square and how many, how can I arrange my thunder wave so that I hit, you know, the exact right number of people and not another character and all this. And it's just like, Big bold, bra- big, bold moves is what we're looking for. And zones are about big, bold moves. And that way, when somebody says, I want to cast fireball, you're like, you're going to hit everybody in a zone if you do fireball. And it's like, well, we're going to do that. Or how can I cast a fireball? Can I hit, cast a fireball and only hit the five jackalwares? I say, yes, bang, you boom. And you describe jackalwares flying through the air as a fireball explodes. Like people don't even think about what a fireball is, right? They just think about, well, it's a big radius and it can hit so many guys. It does 28 damage and save for half. They don't think about like, it's a big ball of fire exploding in the middle of the ship. Like, what's that like? You know, boom, right? It's an explosion. So, I mean, that's why I think like in um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, when they use the fireball as a story element, right? The room, a piece of a piece of a block, a building in a block explodes. Big deal. So um, zone-based combat works really well. And there's lots, if you want to know more about zone-based combat, I've got articles on Sly Flourish about it. Uh, I think I, well, so I have a thing about making these battle maps. I think that was the last one I did. Um, yeah, text-based combat tracking for D&D on Discord. Uh, so the whole article uh, about how to uh, run these kind of battles. I, I bring it up as like, this is kind of how Darkest Dungeon does it. This is what it looks like when you render it in Markdown, and that's how it will look when you render it in Discord. Um, but then I, I think I had, you know, the main thing is like, you, you, you know, and don't, it's easy to kind of come up with new rules about zones. Like, what does it mean when this happens? And instead it's like, the zones are really just there to help players and DMs agree about like who's where and who's next to who. And then within that, it's just reminding you. And so you can still use all the other fifth edition things like um, opportunity attacks or how many you can hit in a battle. And, you know, so you can still describe things pretty in particulars instead of coming up with a whole new layer of rules about zone-based combat. Instead, it's, you know, keeping a loose grip on it and saying this is a way to show us how things are set up still using standard D and D rules. So, um, I think it can, you know, I think it, I think it can work well, uh, as a, as a representation of how things exist. Right. And I think I like my last paragraph here is like, hang on with a loose grip. Right. Which is a common, um, this is a big, long article. 
hang on, look, hang on with a loose grip, right? That, you know, you're going to have to work with it. There isn't an ideal situation. Stay flexible. Try things out. Uh, would this work with a room in a dungeon? Or is that just one? Yeah. So typically, Thespia says, would you, would you have multiple zones? You only have multiple zones if you need them. If you're in a room in a dungeon and the room is 30 by 30 or 25 by 30, you just have the room. You don't have to, you don't have, to have anything else, right? Zones really exist when you have at least a couple of areas if it takes a move action or more to get from one place to the other, then you probably have a zone. So a big, they're usually for big chambers or in this case, big scenes, right? I have a whole airship is one zone. Really, I could have broken both airships into multiple zones, but instead I'm just like, we, all we really care about is who's on the gold bright. And we can remember that Zarentir's in the cockpit and she is in the back. We don't need to have separate zones for that unless I threw a lot of monsters there and it got confusing about who's attacking Zarentir up at the cockpit and who's attacking Chi in the back. Then I might split it up into separate zones. And the nice thing with this text-based thing is you just create another zone, right? You just double-double asterisk, type out the zone name, double-double asterisk, and now you got two zones, right? So it's really easy to kind of create these zones on the fly. Um, and you only do it when you need to clarify the battle. You don't do it, you don't start with big complicated zones. You only expand zones out as you need them. So yeah, zones can be any size. Generally speaking, you want to have a zone, you want to make it so that a, a, a character can move from one zone to another. Um, and, and that's, you know, with, with, a move, with a single move, right? That as, part, as their move, they can go from one zone to another. Um, I think that that's really the, the, the key to a good zone-based system. If, they, if it's smaller than a move action, it's really one zone. And there are some cases, though, where, like, things are really far away and you're like, you can't get that far. Then I, what I do is I put two double dashes. Uh, I have that here somewhere. Uh, so here, right, this, zone, this null on the flying disc, you can't just move to him. He's 60 feet out or more, right? He's long range. So it would take you a couple, it would take you a move and a dash and being able to fly to get to this null. And then we just, we just separate it with a pair, you know, with double with two triple dashes um uh how do you handle pcs with much higher speed like a monk can they move two zones yeah right, absolutely um right so a lot of times you say because you're a monk you can do x right because you're a monk the monk could get over this null on the flying disc right uh same with a rogue that wants to use the dash action as their rogue move they can do that too um so yeah that you, you know the, the, the card part comes with like well how do you deal with the fact that the monk has a speed of 45 and that's not quite a full double. Well, sometimes you give them double, sometimes you don't, right? Uh, so the, you got to play it out. You got to, you got to, you know, play it by a, a key to this whole system is that the circumstances are going to dictate how you do what, right? And how you decide what's going on. Um, but you use the the general description of uh, what's the zone, who's in the zone. Uh, here I put like, you know, the amount of damage that they've taken, uh, you know, who's where, and then the double dash is like, how many move actions does it take? It only takes one move action. It says, you know, one, so on and so forth. And you can throw lots of monsters, right? 25 crawling claws in a big group are attacking crawl. Crawl is surrounded by 50 crawling claws. Like nasty, right? 16 skeletons are up above with these guys. Um, so yeah, this article has a whole lot about kind of how, how to handle that sort of thing. Uh, and then I have my guidelines for theater of the mind combat, which I think is in start here. Uh, there it is uh building and running encounters running theater of the mind combat is a whole article about how to run theater of the mind combat it's also available in the lazy dm workbook um and mostly it's like your your you know described thing it's got a lot about movement in here too i think narrative and abstract maps you know, rolling randomly to determine targets, going big with descriptions, you know, lots of stuff here. So yeah, this is a, uh, and it's got a, a one page guide. If you like a, like a nice, simple printable one page guide It also has a, uh, I went ahead and, uh, made the two page theater of the mind guidelines from the lazy DM workbook available for free. So this has lots of stuff about movement. And I think it even talks about extending movement and stuff like that. Yeah. Whole section of movement here. I'll paste that in the chat too. So, uh, yeah, anyway, good, good chat today. I think it was fun to talk about this stuff. Um, I think the deal of day is now over. Uh, and I would, so, uh, there was a contest going on by the way. Uh, yep. It's back to full price. So, uh, those of you who are getting into this late, sorry. Uh, it's still worth it. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. 
definitely worth 15 bucks. It's 50. It's a deal for 15 bucks. It was an insane deal for five bucks. Um, and 10 people are going to win the art book. Uh, the, the ruins of the Grendel root art book and map pack. The map pack comes with everything. Um, but the art book, the, the PDF art book, uh, is available. And I am going to give that away to 10 people who, uh, supported the tweet that had this, and I'm going to figure out how to do that. So, uh, there we go. So I want to thank everybody for coming today. Uh, thanks to all the fine folks who gave me great ideas in the Twitch chat as always. And, uh, I will be back on next week, uh, and we will find out what happened in the night sky and crazy events are going to occur. And it's going to be a lot of fun to see. So thank you all have a great week and get out there and play some D and D.